Engage. This is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I am the one who knocks. I'm Jessica K. Richards, and I'm an academic who studies television. I'm Ashley Zanter, and I'm an academic who does cultural studies. And I'm Scott Nielsen, and my first sexual experience also involved penguins. <laughs> Welcome to Universe TV, back from our holiday hiatus. Just a reminder for all of you out there, we are an academic podcast that discusses television shows in their first season. So just a quick spoiler alert for all of you, we will be discussing the entire first season of any show on any episode. The, today's episode, we're talking about the Netflix original series Atypical, which follows high school senior Sam Gardner, who also has autism as he tries to figure out the dating pool and how to deal with his first girlfriend and potentially having sex for the first time. Yeah. It's <laughs> good TV right there. <laughs> Studio execs just ran for that. They're like, yeah, autism. And sex. The two hottest things right now. Well, so that's kind of one of the things that I think is interesting about this particular show is that... Um, if there is a way to sort of say this, that like autism is in vogue right now in yeah. terms of depiction on television. It's one of the sort of hot areas that people are exploring. In fact, the very popular show, The Good Doctor, also mm-hmm. features a, a savant character who, you know, knows how to surgery real good <laughs> because because he has autism mm-hmm. or, right. you know, in addition to his autism. Right. Well, one one of the things... In my favorite show, Community, they make a joke in one of the episodes uh, where they ask Abed, the autistic character, to use your magic powers and fix our problems. And he's like, oh, mental illness is a procedural device. Bad, <laughs> bad writing. And that's just what it kind of reminds me of, of let's use autism as magic powers. Well, and I think that gets us like right in there in terms of, you know, for me, this show was interesting um, but I feel like I've seen the depiction of autism uh, done better elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And Abed is actually one of the characters that I would cite as, like, that's a really interesting and complicated portrayal of a character who has autism. I do love me some Abed. Who doesn't? <laughs> right. And so it was interesting to kind of compare that, this entry as a show about autism in terms of, the, the ways that it defined its characterization and how it dealt with, like, the family dynamics mm-hmm. in the story and kind of measure it against some of the other stuff that's been on TV. And I, I think one thing that I appreciated about the show and that I really enjoyed is that, yeah, he the portrayal of autism wasn't bringing anything new to the table and he, he wasn't doing anything particularly special, but what I really appreciated was two separate things, and I'm sure we'll talk about each one individually, is one, the focus and the onus on the family and what it's like to be the mother of an autistic son, the sister of an autistic brother, uh, the father of an autistic son. And I thought that was really interesting to get that perspective, which I don't feel like you get a lot, especially in a sitcom type uh, format. And the other aspect that I liked was that it did focus on sort of his sexual escapades and dating because in my mind, that hasn't been covered. That is treading new ground, which I think is really interesting, especially because uh, people who have neuroatypical uh, brains 
typically aren't represented in a sexual way or, you know, if they are not interested, like if you think about like Sherlock uh, in the BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch, he's not interested in anything other than the thing he's interested in. Right, he's a very asexual character. And that's partly because, like, I think we have a tendency to sort of look at them as uh, uh, we infantilize them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really unfortunate choice to make because they are adults and they... They have sexual feelings and, you know, experience yeah. all, all of that. And that's what Sam has to go through mm-hmm. is that everyone has infantilized him, except for his best friend, Zahid, who wingman all the way. Uh, <laughs> but, that, but that's the explosion sort of, of the story. Kind, right. of a, kind of a creepy wingman, I but mean, a wingman yeah. nonetheless. I mean, wingmen I, aren't not creepy. That's I, part of the job description. <laughs> I read an article earlier that talked about how he was basically just a Seth Rogen character. Kind of. Like, just steps yeah. right in and is, like, mm-hmm. really crude awkwardly and then leaves yeah. the scene. But I feel like Seth Rogen actually, like, gets results, though. Like, it's got, like, a weird charm, whereas he's <laughs> just like, are you going to murder me? <laughs> well, and I, I think that was one of the... So, I agree with you. I think that that's an interesting idea to talk a little bit about sexuality. Um in this for people with autism, but I also read a whole bunch of people on the internet who responded to this story and who were really frustrated by Sam's portrayal because they felt like it was actually going to make it harder for them to date people Hmm. um, rather than, you know, than before the show. Because there really has been, you know, even though lots of television shows are sort of beginning to tackle this subject, they're the portrayals of them have been, you know, the genius savant version or even, you know, as early as, like, um, Parenthood, which is a television show about a young person with Asperger's or, Mm -hmm. you know, who's on the spectrum. And so we haven't had this particular moment, and they said it was really frustrating to them. They were excited for the show to come out. And, um, yeah, I read a lot of different um, people who read a lot about different people online who said it was just kind of a horrible, horrible thing for them because they felt like he was so socially insensitive and it exacerbated and demonstrated sort of very dramatically the worst aspects of autism Mm -hmm. um, and that that was kind of an unfair portrayal. I would, so I'm going to pull an example out of... uh, something that Jess and I have had lots of conversations about, and that's that's the first pancake. And uh, the metaphor here is that every time someone makes pancakes, the first pancake is always terrible. And for some reason, that pancake is never salvageable. And But every pancake you make after that is a little better than the first terrible pancake. And so to some extent, I'm wondering, is atypical sort of the first terrible pancake in our, you know, pancake batch of autism sexuality explorations. Right. Because you don't don't know what mistakes you made. Because we haven't really done this. A lot of times when we see characters who are on the spectrum, they are depicted as almost fundamentally asexual. They and, and if there's a romance in there somewhere, it's not necessarily a sexual relationship. And that's true. Some people are asexual, but I don't think that we should associate asexuality with some particular condition, in this case, the autism spectrum almost whole cloth like we have done Mm -hmm. and um so i i did appreciate that the show approached it that way i appreciated that they approached it in the context of high school which i think you know it's already a relatable area of experience for people with or without autism and so i thought you know there were some things about the show that frustrated me 
Uh, but at the same time, I think that it did some really new things that I, I hope will lead to better pancakes. Well, and I, you know, it's interesting. So they, they definitely tried to be aware of that. A lot of the people that were involved in the production have members who have autism, like members of their family who have autism. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, they, they consulted a whole bunch of different experts um, in order to sort of go like, oh, hey, are we portraying this correctly? Uh, have we approached this in a way that makes sense to you? Um, I think part of it for me that was interesting and a little bit frustrating was um, it was so cutesy. You know, some of the the involvement, like the fixation on, you know, Antarctica and penguins specifically, and even his sort of like, um, it was so adorable, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I do, I feel like that that actually took some steps back in terms of not portraying him as a, f a fully fleshed out character or a person to relate to. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was a little bit problematic. And I felt like there was a little bit of infantilization happening, even though this was a show that was designed to combat that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. Let me say why. So I... I care most if it's accurate, right? And I don't know how accurate that is. I'm not an expert. I can't speak to that. However, in my mind, what's wrong with saying this is endearing? What's wrong with making an aspect of this person's neurology something that is endearing? It's something that people like because typically if you said, you know, hey, Ashley has like a really unhealthy obsession with like Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> We'd be like, okay. Who told you? <laughs> I don't, yeah. <laughs> I saw the pictures. Um, how could you do that? Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, if we just said that, you'd think of that as this really like strange, weird thing that is like, okay, I'm going to stay away from that person. Right. But by that, that that's their, his reality. Well, and I do think that it's important to have, you know, one of, one of the points that people brought up a little bit about this show is that it, it did focus a little bit on the family interpreting their experience as a tragedy, which was sort of unfortunate. So to go to your point, like, you know, maybe I'm wrong a little bit about how, um, how attractive or how cute they made the condition uh, because, you know, part of what they, they sort of said about it was like, hey, there, there are problems in the ways that this approaches this from the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that that in and of itself is sort of unhealthy. Yeah. So, yeah, and I thought the characters that we meet, the, the mother and the father, um, Doug and Elsa, were complicated mm -hmm. and a little bit problematic. Yeah. I mean... As any good character should be. Yeah, except for <laughs> the, these guys weren't, again, because it had the sitcom format kind of mucking it up a little bit, the, the way that the characters interacted with each other, sort of the almost the brutality of it, you know, I think particularly Elsa is a character that, um, you know, seems like she's clinging on to her son's childhood, you mm -hmm. know, and she doesn't really want to watch him grow up or progress or become something. And so she's trying to thwart him almost like passive aggressively. She gets in the way of all of his experiences and is trying to stop him from moving forward. And, um, and she sort of just becomes like, and then makes like crazy decisions like she has an affair and all this different stuff to sort of highlight how terrible. You know, it's it's not just like, oh, there's some annoying things about this character that like bother me, but like she becomes some kind of super villain. Mm -hmm. 
mm. uh, through the course of the series. For me, at least, I was sitting there going like, this is really sexist and problematic, particularly in contrast to the way that they handle Doug, who spends his whole arc uh, sort of redeeming himself from previous mistakes. I, I, think, I think that's completely unfair. I disagree entirely, and let me tell you why, as <laughs> I'm opt, I am apt to do. So I don't think it's sexist. I think that sort of, I'm not going to say slut-shaming, but I'm saying, like, yeah, people have affairs. It happens. It was a moment of weakness that she came back to because she's literally having an identity crisis, mm -hmm. and she doesn't have anything to ground herself, and she's harboring this resentment against her husband. She's not a villain, and I think I understand where that comes from because we look for the villain, but for me, she's a victim. She's the one who's being left behind, and so she's coping with it in a really negative way. Also, like, if you think about Doug, what he does is so much worse. People, people get over adultery. People go, hey, this was a mistake. We'll work through it. We'll go to counseling. You know, we'll, we'll get through this. But, like, leaving your family... Like, that, that is a breach of character where you say, like, I don't know that I can ever forgive this guy. And I guess maybe I'm more willing to forgive Elsa for her adultery, and I think people are less apt to do because that's in the present as opposed to in the past. But for Doug, I'm just thinking, like, yeah, man, you screwed up hard. And I guess that was part of what was problematic to me was that she, she as a character, is so fixated on her identity as a mother that, that I, I felt like it wasn't because she was experiencing a particularly interesting mental crisis in her life. But in fact, the, the authors of the show hadn't given her enough definition to think of anything else to do with her. Mm -hmm. And that was problematic for me from a like feminist perspective. So I guess I'm gonna come in from a different um, direction than both of you, because I don't necessarily wanna villainize her or victimize her um, in this particular context. She could be the villain, she could not be. She could be a victim, she could not be. You have but, to pick a V word to do. <laughs> right. Okay, pick Vivisect. it. no. Oh um, God. <laughs> no, but how, why I really ended up liking Elsa, not necessarily as a person, because the actions that she takes I'm not going to discuss their morality. But I liked that at, at the beginning of the show, I was really irritated by her because I was like, oh, look, here's another long-suffering mother character. How original. I'm so bored already. And I felt like I knew what she was going to turn out to be. And then they took this hard left and they had her as a, a person want things and desire things for herself. That were, that were selfish. And I know that a lot of times we talk about selfishness as an inherently negative thing, but I think sometimes, especially when we have these mother characters who, you know, their entire personality is just to give everything of themselves so that there is nothing left. I liked that they gave her, um, all, I don't wanna say the courage, but they gave her the ability to make a decision that was selfish because she wanted it. And it had nothing to do with her being a wife. It had nothing to do with her being a mother. It had to do with her being a woman trying to figure out who she is in her middle-aged-ness where she's trying to, you know, her babies are leaving the nest and she's gonna have to figure out who she is again and who she is in her relationship again. And I think I really appreciated that about her. You know, like I said, the decisions she makes aren't great decisions. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said she's coping very negatively with what's happening to her in her life right now. But I liked that it wasn't just another suffering mother. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think part of what happened for me was like it it just wasn't dimensional enough for any of those decisions to 
to make sense. It was mining traditional television tropes for the purpose of being like, she has an affair, you know, like (laughs) for me, that was really annoying and frustrating, um, partly because the rest of the character work in the show was pretty lazy. You know, you have stuff like, I guess she's a hairdresser also in one episode where they need her to do hair for people. (laughs) And I just felt like, for me, there was a really big disconnect. It felt sloppy. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. It's like, from maybe, maybe it's not necessarily her role as a villain within the piece that's problematic, but just the fact that, like, None of the characters, aside from um, the sister, Casey. Casey, Casey, felt very well drawn to me. I mean, I think she was such a solid figure and core had such a core identity that mm-hmm. a lot of her interactions and the ways that she sort of meted like participated in drama and and talked about the problems that she was having as a member of a family where you know, autism is the main focus Mm -hmm. of her life, that those were way more interesting to me and way more compelling than the mama drama of, like, I'm going to smoke a joint and steal my daughter's jacket and also have an affair, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I also show up to the parent meetings and all that different stuff. You know, it just, there was so much, it, it, it was a mess. That's how I felt about that character. She was just so messy. Uh, in terms of her characterization, it didn't feel fully realized to me. I, I can I can see and appreciate that. I would counter though that if you bring Casey up as an example, I'd say that is the most cliched character in the show. If you think about like the teenage girl rebellion phase, so she lashes out at other girls. She the very first thing she does is punch another girl in the face for a justifiable reason, right? She mouths off to her parents. She gets a boyfriend. She has angry hate sex with him because she's <laughs> mad at her parents. Uh-huh. Like it, and then oh, I have to choose if I go off to this school or I stay with my family. Like I've seen that in a thousand movies. I've seen that in right, a thousand I, TV maybe shows. Maybe the actor actress for me, you know, really sold that narrative. Like I thought she was much more interesting than anyone else in the entire show, and I would argue that all of the characters fall into that tropey, very dramatic, melodrama. Yeah. <laughs> and and it just, for me, it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Is it a sitcom or is it a melodrama? It, it tried to walk this middle line. And as part of that, I think Sam ended up the target and like the butt of a lot of jokes because yeah. it was trying to weave those two sort of antithetical things together. So my experience of watching this show, and I think it's interesting that you bring up um, Sam's characterization and the humor, because almost all the humor, uh, and I'm comfortable saying that, in this show stems from his his weirdness uh, that's supposed to be a result of his autism, right? And I, I felt kind of dirty watching the show because it was very funny. It was very funny, mm-hmm. very well written. The jokes like hit you out of nowhere, and there were moments I was bursting out laughing while I was watching this thing. But then I would, you know, step back after the episode was over, or after I was out of a particularly compelling scene, and I'd go, "Uh oh," you know. The reason I just laughed is because the weird autistic kid said something weird, right, and, and awkward. Yeah, and and almost all the humor in this show stems from his autism being abnormal and not fitting into the status quo. And and all the humor is derived from the fact that he can't figure out social situations. Right. And I, I mean, I think I'm going to come back to this argument that I made a little bit earlier, um, 
just the idea of it like being cutesy, you know? Mm -hmm. So one of the scenes that I found particularly horrifying is when Sam locks his girlfriend into the closet (laughs) (laughs) and just leaves her there because she's been touching his stuff and that makes him really uncomfortable and he doesn't like it. Right, right? but he solved so many problems. I didn't realize you could just put people in closets. (laughs) So for me, again, like, that's a horrifying thing to happen to a teenage girl and the the way that the sh- the show approaches it is it's from a like isn't this adorable isn't it funny isn't he charming he just solves the world's problems by locking them away in a closet instead of dealing with them and i f- i feel like particularly in in a portrayal of a teenage girl character you know paige happily standing behind the closet and being like hey you can let me out whenever you want to again Felt pretty sexist to me. I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, sure. that, that was problematic. I guess it didn't um, feel so aggressive to me because Paige throughout the entire uh, series <laughs> is always very invested in trying to navigate his autism in a way that uh, most people don't seem to be, ex- except for maybe his sister. And that's from the conditioning of having grown up with him. Right. But Paige kind of comes in out of nowhere and she, you know, she reads up on it and she's the one who proposes the really cool idea to have the silent the silent night dance where they have the headphones on so that it's not, you know, crazy music that would make him uncomfortable so that he can experience things that other high school students experience. Right. And, you know, we just have some, a lot of, I would think, the cool, redeemable moments in the show come from Paige. And I guess, I mean, I agree with you because I did find her, like, enjoyable as a character. And I liked how emotional she was and how smart, you Mm -hmm. know, she is as a character. But I also felt like the show was really willing to look at negative male behavior as positive in terms okay. of fulfilling a teen girl fantasy. And that was that was problematic to me. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, to play devil's advocate a little bit, I want to talk about, just in general, like, can you joke? Is autism something that can be the subject of comedy? And I think in this show, because I disagree, I, I don't feel like he was the butt of, jo- of, of jokes. I don't feel like there was, I didn't feel dirty laughing at it, but I feel dirty like with the Big Bang Theory, right? With the way they portray Sheldon. And, and this is sort of the distinction that, that I feel happens between those two shows. So in the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon is insufferable. His behavior is so abnormal and so aggressively inconsiderate and insulting that they make jokes back to him at his expense and say, like, oh, Sheldon, like, you're an idiot and you don't get that we're calling you an idiot. And we're supposed to laugh with them. And I think the, the thing about autism is that with, with any taboo subject like race or sex or gender, you know, anything like that, a good test of whether or not your joke is off color is do the people you're joking about laugh with you? And with autism, oftentimes they can't because – like we talk about, like Sam doesn't understand certain situations. Like he doesn't understand certain jokes. So it's hard to be on someone's side and laugh with them when they literally don't necessarily have the capacity depending on where you exist on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think that's particularly true of Sam in this narrative, right? He doesn't really know when he's being funny. Right. And so what I think, contrasting Sheldon's experience where we're insulting him, laughing at him, like, yeah, his behavior is funny, but also the insults back at him and how terrible he is, is are funny. With Sam, 
it's his autism creates these situations and you can be really uncomfortable about them or you can find the humor in them. And I think what this show does and why I think it's a very humanizing experience for Sam and people with autism is it says, hey, these situations, yeah, A, are, are going to be uncomfortable, but they can also be really funny and they can be endearing and there can be heartwarming and this person is a person and they deserve the same uh, rights and affection and consideration that other people get. And I really appreciated that aspect of the show. No, and I think for me, that's kind of where I come down on this particular show. Is like, in terms of its, for me, the storytelling, the pacing was all over the place. It was pretty crazy. Um, But I feel like it had a good heart, right? It Mm -hmm. was trying to do something good and it was trying to talk about this in a new way. And I, I don't think we should like, knock it for that. But in terms of it being memorable television or television that's super meaningful to a group of people or any of that stuff, I think it falls short mm-hmm. and for a number of different reasons. And while I did find it funny and I thought that there were a lot of jokes that really landed, I, I, I find it problematic and it just didn't quite figure out how to handle this story and, and what made the core parts of Sam's character uh, essential to him. So I guess taking all of this into consideration, Jess, what grade would you give Atypical? So I'm gonna I'm gonna be mean. I'm probably gonna give it a D plus. Okay. That's probably where I land with it. I just, in terms of the other television that I've watched this year and for this podcast, I just don't feel like it has enough to really make a lasting impression on me. And so that's kind of where I landed with it. Okay, Scott? Uh, well, I'll give it an A for effort, but <laughs> in terms of an actual grade, probably like a C plus, B minus, mm-hmm. because I, I agree very strongly with Jess's statement that it is not a memorable show. Um, it's something that you think will stick with you, and then you finish it, and the next day you're like, okay, cool, what's the next thing? It's not something that really hits you hard. They, yeah. they try really hard, and it is funny, and it is real w- well written, um, but ultimately I think it... Re- it flew too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I give it a C. I would say it was adequate. Like it, it, it was the first pancake, and that's sort of the metaphor that I'm going to be sticking with here. I don't know that I can associate with you guys if you're making bad pancakes. <laughs> like I make perfect pancakes every time. I am well, a pancake that's your of, superpower. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, pancakes for life. So what are you guys watching this week? So this week I'm watching Big Mouth. <laughs> Which, oh my gosh. I love I know, Big Jessica's Mouth. Jessica's so, so excited funny. about it. So Scott actually introduced me to this show, and it's a, it's a Netflix original as well, but it's an adult cartoon, which, you know, those are always so interesting to me as a genre. But Big Mouth in particular, it's an adult cartoon that's about prepubescent, like, middle schoolers trying to figure out uh, puberty. And it's horrifying and hilarious, and the humor is, like, really sharp, but also pretty dark a lot and uh it just hit all the right notes for me and and the voice acting is outstanding it's got comedy gold in its yeah. cast so nick kroll and john mulaney i will say that it's a it's a rare thing when a show literally can stop me and it's in my tracks like doesn't like shake me let's just say that garrison keeler's cameo <laughs> uh yeah i'll leave it at that if you know you know <laughs> Uh, so, what about you, Scott? So I I just finished watching Devil Man Cry Baby, which is also a Netflix original. Netflix has recently invested a lot of money into anime because they realized that it's fantastic and they should have tons of it. Mm. Also, Jess gave me uh, crap for uh, 
for having all these animes that I watch, but it's my life, and I'll live it how I want. Um, but yeah, so this is an adaptation, um, a more faithful adaptation of a manga written like 20, 30 years ago um, that had an anime already. Um, and it's a really, what's really compelling, because it was actually, some articles have called it Netflix's first anime masterpiece. Um, it's incredibly violent. It's incredibly sexual, almost to an uncomfortable point. But it's very surreal. The art style is very interesting. Like, it's, I, I remember I just felt so many things, and it, it's really sad, and it's beautiful, and it's violent, and it just is a very visceral experience. I don't know that, if you don't like anime, and if you're more squeamish, I'd maybe stay away from it. But if you like anime and if you're willing to more take a, a deep dive, like, this is a fantastic show. That's cool. No, I um, I finally got around to watching Big Little Lies, which was the sort of Golden, Golden Globes. Golden Globes, darling. Yeah, uh-huh, this time around. And I, I actually liked it. I was surprised that I ended up liking it. The production quality is so high. So it's a story about a bunch of very, very wealthy women in <laughs> Monterey ridiculously wealthy um makes you want to punch all of them because they're it's absurd uh so but they they're living in this community and it's about they're the all mothers of um kids in first grade and so it's about the children's interaction at the school and sort of how that gets amplified and these women interact with each other so it's about you know professional women and feminism and it has all this really interesting uh, stuff in it. My favorite part about the show was that like half of the conversation take place uh, in cars. <laughs> and like with the mom looking in the rear view mirror, talking to her kid in the back seat. And for me, there was something that was like so accurate about how women inhibit like, or inhabit that space in our society and our culture on a daily basis. You know, they are the carpoolers. They are the people who deliver the kids to their events. And so it took that whole soccer mom thing and, like, it was fascinating. I really enjoyed that part of the show. And, and I think it did that same kind of artistic choice with a lot of different things surrounding motherhood. And so I thought it was a really valuable study. And um, I, th I thought the the awards were deserved. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so I highly recommend that. I think it's pretty good stuff. And it's surprising because it's, you know, there's like a murder at the center of it, but it's not as trashy as you might think. Wow, spoiler. <laughs> so Jesus, Jessica, spoiler. She tell us who it happened did the, the murdering. First. No, none of that. So it's, it's all good. But, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening this week. I'm Jessica K. Richards. I'm Ashley Zanter. And I'm Scott Nielsen. And this is Universal TV. Boy. <laughs> Make sure to check us out on Facebook or Twitter by liking us at University TV Podcast, or you can email us at universitytvpodcast at gmail.com with your recommendations for future episodes.